You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. Welcome to our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Presence With Us. Join us as we explore the person and work of the Holy Spirit and how His presence in our lives empowers us to live a life of faith and witness. Discover how the Holy Spirit can transform us and guide us into a deeper relationship with Him. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, this is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. Because you sent your Son in the fullness of time to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of the law. And Father, because we are sons, you have poured out your Spirit into our hearts, who cries out, Abba, Father. And we are no longer slaves as we were before Christ came. We are sons. And because we are sons, we are heirs through God. So Father, we pray that this morning, by the supernatural power of your Spirit, as we hear a sermon about sonship in Christ, that you would remind us that we belong to you because we belong to Christ and because your Spirit lives in our hearts. So, Father, please fill us with your Spirit. And may your Spirit fall on us even now. And awaken our hearts and minds to this rich truth that we have in Christ. And help me to preach your Word with power in the Spirit by faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Adoption is a beautiful picture of the gospel. I was not adopted in the eyes of the state, but practically I was adopted. I was conceived and born into a difficult situation for no fault of my own. Thankfully, I immediately had family members, grandparents, and 
aunts and uncles and cousins who stepped in and who loved me well as they sacrificed for me, as they made sure that I had everything I needed to be able to have an opportunity to flourish in this world. Two of those family members were my aunt and my uncle. My aunt died in 2018, and she gave her life to Jesus six weeks before she died, and my uncle still lives today, who also gave his life to Christ a year after I became a Christian. For those people in my small town in eastern Kentucky who knew us, they, they knew that technically they were my aunt and uncle, but practically they were my mom and dad. With that relationship with one another, there were certain benefits that I had access to, certain privileges that I had access to. There was evidence in my life by how they treated me, how they cared for me, that I was, in fact, adopted in a very practical sense, as their son. Our text this morning, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, is about a greater adoption. The main point from this verse is, the Spirit is the witness to our status as members of God's family. A word that I want you to hear this morning as we walk through the text is quite simple. God is our Father. Jesus is our Lord. The Spirit is our Comforter. We belong to the Father because we belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we have God's Spirit living in our hearts who bears witness to our status as members of God's family. But first, a word about the context of Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul wrote this letter to command Gentile Christians in Galatia to keep obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ and to avoid the false message preached by his opponents. The opponents were teaching that these Gentile Christians needed to trust in Jesus plus live a Jewish way of life by adopting markers of the Mosaic Covenant by living in obedience to the law of Moses. But Paul wrote to encourage them to remember that they had everything they needed in Christ by the Spirit to live a life pleasing to God because they were justified by faith in Christ. And Jesus delivered them from the present evil age and he gave to them the Holy Spirit. So Paul warns the Galatians, if they walk away from his gospel and embrace this false gospel, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. A few examples. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul reminds the Galatians of his apostolic authority. He said that his apostleship comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. He also expresses to them in chapter 1, verse 6, shock that some of the Galatians were turning so quickly from the one who called them by the grace of Christ to another gospel, which he clarifies is no other gospel at all, except some are troubling them and wanting to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
When you get to chapters 3 through 6 in Galatians, Paul, in my view, gives us the central section of the letter. And here he tells the Galatians they received the Spirit. In fact, he asked them in 3.2 this question, I only want to learn one thing from you. How did you receive the Spirit? By works of law or by the hearing of faith? And he argues in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, they received the Spirit not by works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for their sins to give them the Spirit. He died for their sins to deliver them from the present evil age. He died for their sins to deliver them from slavery to sin and slavery to the law and slavery to the wicked forces of evil. And he freed them in Christ. And evidence of that freedom is they have the indwelling, supernatural, transforming power of the Spirit living in their midst, living in their hearts. And then we come to 323 to 47, a passage where we'll focus today. Galatians 4.6 is part of that section where Paul says, before God invaded the world with his great rescue mission of sending Jesus to die for our sins, we were under the guardianship of the law. We were under slavery to the law of Moses. We were in bondage. Hear that this morning. Before Christ came to liberate us from sin's power, we were enslaved to the power of sin, to the present evil age, and under the law's condemnation because of our sin. But then Paul says this, but now that Christ has come, we have been justified by faith in Christ. We have been liber liberated from sin and enslavement because Jesus Christ died for us. And we died with Christ, chapter 3, verse 24 to 28, when we were baptized in water. And in Christ Jesus, God has fulfilled every single promise that he gave to Abraham. And because Jesus is the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3.16, and because we are in Christ, we therefore are sons and daughters of Abraham, Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 29. Listen to verse 29 in chapter 3, for example. If you are in Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham. You are heirs according to the promise. Now, the text that she just read for us this morning, our sister just read, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, Paul uses an analogy from the Greco-Roman world of slavery as well as of sonship. And here he says that our status prior to coming to faith in Christ was analogous to children in an age of immaturity, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, when the child is what was under a tutor or a guardian, he was no different, Paul says, than a slave, even though he was the Lord of all or the heir of all things. But once the child reached the age of maturity, Paul says, that child inherited all things that belonged to him. In verse 4, Paul applies that analogy to believers. Y'all still with me? Verse 4. Verse 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time came, 
That's a reference to the incarnation. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Now notice the language here that comes next. Sent forth his son, verse 4, to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we would receive adoption as sons. Paul means that the moment God decided to send Jesus to be born of a woman, to be incarnate, that Jesus Christ became one of us. He became a human being. Yes, he was without sin, but listen to this very carefully. He was born under the power of sin. He was born under the power of the present evil age. He was born under the power of the law. He lived a perfect life for us as one of us so that he would conquer sin's power for us. So that he would conquer the power of the law for us. So that he would conquer the principalities and powers of the air for us. That's what he means when he says, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he would redeem us. So that he would new exodus us. So that he would deliver us from bondage. And notice what he says in verses 6 and 7. The focus of my sermon the rest of this time. And verse 6, Paul says, Because you are sons, stop and think about this with me. Why are we sons? And what does it mean for us to be sons? Notice this, sisters. This does not exclude you. This idea of sonship is very important because in the ancient world, the son, the older son, was the one who had the authority that would be given to him when the father was off the scene. The older son would be the heir, the Lord over everything. And Paul is making a point here that in Jesus Christ, because Jesus died for our sins, that Jews and Gentiles, men and women in Christ Jesus are God's sons. We are part of his family. We receive everything he has given to Christ, through Christ, by faith. Y'all with me this morning? Don't you hear in this statement a minimizing of sisters in Christ? There's no male or female, no Jew, Gentile, no slave or free. We're all in Christ. Where there is male or female, there is slave or free, there is Jew or Gentile. Paul knows that. His point is, is that in Christ, everybody in Christ are members of the family of God. That's the point. Because Jesus became a human being. Because Jesus was born under the power of sin yet without sin, because Jesus was born under the curse of the law, born under the power of the law, born under the principalities and powers of the air, and he triumphed them in, in the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, I've said this before. I don't preach for amens, but that is a good place for one. <laughs> it's a good place for an amen. Amen. 
And that's just verse 6, <laughs> the first part. Listen to the rest of it. Let me just read the first part again. Because you are sons. Now watch this. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice how he links our liberation from sin, our sonship with Christ, with adoption by the spirit. Did you notice that? And notice what he says about the Spirit. He says the Spirit is not just some abstract force. That's not what he is. The Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, and he's living in your hearts. You see that in verse 6? He is living in your life. He is in our midst right now, working and speaking to you right now through the preaching of God's Word, but He is living and breathing in your hearts. And He's crying out, Abba, Father. Don't make too much of that Abba stuff. Abba is an Aramaic word. And the translation means Father. That's what He's saying. He's not talking to Aramaic-speaking people. So some have said things like the word Abba is a more intimate word than Father. Both Abba and Father are intimate. Both words in different languages. You can say it in English, Spanish, or whatever you want to say it in. It's an intimate word because God is not our judge in Christ. He's our Father. Do you feel that today? He's our Father. He's crying out, Abba, Father. He is bearing witness. This is what Paul means. God is bearing witness by means of the Spirit in your life that you belong to him. The Spirit, let me say it this way, he is the guarantee of your inheritance in Christ. He is the seal of your down payment in Christ. He is the one in Christ that makes you part of the family of God. You know with confidence, or you should know, that you belong to Jesus and not the devil. You belong to God and not the devil because you have the down payment of the Spirit who is crying out to your Father. They belong to you. Verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Notice that language. You receive everything in Christ. You lack nothing in Jesus. Oh, we lack a lot in this world, don't we? I lack hair. <laughs> I'm getting older. I'm 44. My knees are getting bad. I work harder than I did when I was in my 30s to be healthy, but I, see, I don't see as many good results in my 40s. We lack much in this world, but we don't lack anything in Christ. We are heirs. What are we heirs of? We're heirs of the kingdom of God. We're heirs of eternal life. We are no longer slaves to the power of sin. You are not. If you believe you're a slave to the power of sin, if you're in Christ, the devil's telling you a lie. You are not a slave to the power of sin if you are in Christ. You are a liberated, free heir in Christ who have received all the promises of God in Christ, which are yes and amen. 
man. Galatians 3.29 again. If you belong to Christ, then you are children of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Listen to how Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now listen to verse 14. Here's why Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. In Galatians, the spirit is, yes, the Holy Spirit. But he is also the proof that every single promise that God gave to Abraham, that God gave to Moses, that God gave to David has been realized in Jesus. And the Spirit of God living in us guarantees that we receive those promises and we await them by faith. We've already begun to experience them in part right now by the indwelling and transformational power of the Spirit. Because we are adopted as sons. Well, four quick applications. One, because we are children of God by faith in Christ, we have the Spirit living in us, bearing witness to us and to God that we belong to Him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, listen carefully. We can, we will, And we must walk in the power of the Spirit as children of God. And we can, we will, and we must walk contrary to the flesh. And contrary to the present evil age, if we desire to inherit the kingdom of God. We have inherited the kingdom of God already in part if we're trusting in Jesus by faith. Evidence is we have the transformational power of the Spirit manifested through our lives. And we must continue to walk in step with the Spirit so that we will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the good news. Because the Spirit of God works in us and enables us to walk in step with the Spirit, we will walk in step with the Spirit and we will inherit the kingdom of God. Second application. Because we have faith in Jesus who died for us to emancipate us from the power of sin and who is risen from the dead, the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit enables us. He transforms us so that we can conquer the power of sin in our own lives by living lives, not of perfection, but by living lives of faithful obedience. Because the Spirit is living in our hearts right now, individually and in community with each other. We have, hear this carefully, the supernatural ability to walk in obedience to the gospel. We have the supernatural moral agency not to live as slaves to sin. We have the supernatural, God-given, God-enabling power in us by the Spirit so that we can live in obedience in the power of the Spirit. Therefore, 
Brothers and sisters, let's stop living a defeatist Christian life. We can't overcome sin. You say, well, Jarvis, I'm a sinner and that's just the way it is. Well, no, it's not just the way it is. Jesus became like you so that you could become like him. Not perfectly. It's not what I'm arguing. But what I am saying to you is, you do not understand the gospel. If you believe you are predestined as a believer to live as a slave to the power of sin. You don't understand the gospel. You are predestined in Christ to live as his adopted children, and you are enabled by the Spirit to do that. You don't have to be a slave to lust, to lies, to slander, to porn, to gossip, to money, to sex. You have the ability in Christ Jesus by the Spirit to be free. Don't you want to be free? I want to be free. For some believers, obedience is slow. For other believers, it may be fast in certain areas of our lives. But God in Christ has made us his children and has given to us the Spirit so that we can live in accordance with the fruit that the Spirit is cultivating in our hearts and in our midst as the people of God. But we must fight. Y'all still with me? Can I keep teaching a little bit? It's going to be a short sermon. I'm almost done. I already am, I promise. We must fight. We must fight against sin. Fighting includes at least these things. Reading your Bible. Praying. Joining this church. I don't understand people who just float around from church to church. No accountability. Join this church. If you don't want to join this church, go find one and join it. Because that's how one way you fight against sin. You fight against sin also by being involved in the life of the church. Not just being someone who comes to services, although that's fundamental, but being involved in the life of the church and the health of the church, doing life on life with people. That's one way you fight against sin. Fighting means we do not in any way, shape, or form give the devil a foothold any place in our lives. The devil wants to destroy you, brothers and sisters. Christ wants to give you life by the Spirit. So practically, no Bible reading, no spiritual power. No prayer, no spiritual power. No church involvement, no spiritual power. No spirit in us, no spiritual power. If you apply this to those of you who are teenagers, it's hard to be a teenager today. It's much harder than I was a teenager. But Christian teenagers, hear this. You can, by the power of the Spirit in you, honor Christ in your lives. At school, 
You can, by the power of the Spirit, and with the help of the people of God, and with the help of other means of grace, you can resist those temptations to live in obedience to the present evil age. Because God in Christ has acted supernaturally to deliver you from the present evil age. And teenagers, you have the same spirit I have as a 44-year-old man who can enable you to walk in step with the spirit and shine brightly as a light in a dark and crooked, perverse world. So let me save you, teenagers, if you're listening up. Let me save you from years of heartache with these words. Don't rebel against Jesus. That's a dead end. It will lead you down a path of despair and make you have to waste precious time trying to make up for the time you waste by rebelling against Jesus. Just follow Jesus faithfully and avoid rebelling because Jesus has liberated you to obey him. He's adopted you as his son by the Spirit. Third application. Why don't you reflect upon this for a second? God is our Father. Just think about that. God is our Father. For some of you, that metaphor doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I never met my Father. Nor do I want to, by the way, because I've always had a Father figure in my life. So I have to remind myself that what a Father is, is not some dude who forsook his responsibilities. A Father is what you see outlined in Scripture who cares and shepherds us and protects us and comforts us and guides us. And some of you need to do what I need to do is remind yourself that the heavenly father is far superior than than your earthly father, no matter how good or bad he may have been. God is your father and he he is your father and you are his child. And finally, let's pray for one another. Let's pray for one another to be filled with the Spirit. Pray for your pastors to be filled with the Spirit. Pray for your pastors to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. That's how I pray for many of you. I don't know all of you, but when I pray for Midtown, which I do on Sundays, try to every day, but I'm more consistent on Sundays, I pray for God to fill the people of God with the Spirit. I pray for the staff this morning and for the elders this morning and for you this morning and for me this morning and for my family this morning. We need to pray for one another, that we'd walk in step with the Spirit and avoid arrogance and pride and selfishness and division and and all the things that Paul outlines in Galatians chapter 5. Because we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners, amen? And we need the supernatural power of the Spirit. And one way He works in us is by means of praying for us. So let's pray for one another. And finally, if you're not a believer this morning, you're still in slavery. As Pastor Jamal preached last week, here's the good news. You can be born again by the Spirit. He can break into your unbelief right now and give you life. And if you turn from your sin and you believe by faith that God offered Jesus to die for your sin and that he raised him from the dead, you can receive the promise of the Spirit right now by faith. And the Spirit is the witness to your sonship with God. 
And we want to talk with you about that. We encourage you when the service is over to come over to the Connect Room and talk to us about what it means for you to receive the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, in conclusion, we belong to God because we have the Spirit. He is living in our hearts. He's crying out, Abba, Father, bearing witness to our spirit and bearing witness to God that we belong to him. Therefore, may the Lord fill us and free us to live in step with the spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.